Hey folks, Preet here. The news of Donald Trump's federal indictment in Florida continues to reverberate, and the aftershocks have raised a new series of questions, like this. Will Eileen Cannon, the controversial Trump-appointed judge assigned to the case, recuse herself? And why didn't the FBI search Trump's property in Bedminster, New Jersey, another site where Trump allegedly brought and bragged about classified documents? Plus, what are Trump's potential defenses? And what could have been his motive for taking the documents? Joyce Vance and I dive deep into all of that, including a 13-year-old case involving Bill Clinton's sock drawer and the Presidential Records Act that some say may help Trump. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. I mean, a lot of what's in this indictment, and we didn't really focus on this too much last time, is devastating for the former president. Why? Because it's presumed testimony and also notes and documents by the lawyers, right? Some of the obstructive conduct that is detailed in the indictment comes out of the mouth and the mind of of multiple lawyers for Donald Trump. How is that possible? How is that possibly in the indictment? How is that usable proof? If, as we all understand, if you watch TV and if you're not a lawyer, that there's a you know, sacrosanct attorney-client privilege between lawyers and their clients so that the things that are said between them in connection with legal matters can never be exposed to the public, can never be known to the adversary, certainly can never be known to the government. The reason for that is something we've talked about before, and I want to know what you think about how this is going to go with respect to motion practice, because it'll be one of the earlier motions, the crime fraud exception. If you're engaging in criminal conduct on behalf of your client, or your client is using you to engage in criminal conduct or to get advice on engaging in criminal conduct, depending on the circumstances, that can be pierced. And a judge in D.C., not in the Southern District of Florida, but a judge in D.C. ruled that the crime fraud exception applies and applied during the investigation and forced certain materials to be turned over from Trump's defense to the prosecutors. And all of that is incorporated into the grand jury presentation, into the indictment. If that gets undone, do you think that can be undone? And if so, what's the consequence of that? So I've been dying to talk with you about this. I've actually been trying to piece it out and sort of game it the whole way down and, and write about it a little bit. Here's where I end up. I'm, I'm still thinking it through. So this is Judge Beryl Hall in Washington's still sealed opinion, which permits the attorney-client privilege to be pierced because Trump was using his lawyers to conduct his crimes. He essentially was consulting with them, getting their advice, limiting what they had access to, getting them out of the way based on that advice so he could try to continue to hide documents and not turn them into the government, actually soliciting, in some cases here, their assistance, right? Can't you just sort of pluck that stuff out of the file so that DOJ doesn't get it back? Here's what I think happens Judge Howell's ruling in the District of Columbia is the law of the case. Her memorandum opinion is still sealed, but based on everything we know about Judge Howell, there's every good reason to believe that it is well thought out, precise, on point, airtight in an issue like this. Could Judge Cannon reconsider it? I guess she could, 
But if she rules in a contrary fashion, that is immediately appealable. The government would have to take that to the circuit because this is essential evidence for them. And that would put the issue of uh, recusing Judge Cannon squarely in front of the 11th Circuit. You know, here's what I think more likely happens. Corcoran still works for Trump. He is not cooperating with the government so far as we know. Just so people can recall, Corcoran is the lawyer who worked for Trump whose notes are at issue here. And he is the lawyer identified in the indictment as as lawyer one. They don't name him, but it's clearly him. So he's called to the witness stand by the government, and, and they ask him about this stuff. And if he doesn't want to answer, if he's what lawyers call a a hostile witness, the government is then entitled to lead him. So instead of asking, you know, who, what, when questions, they can say, isn't it true that? And if his testimony deviates from his contemporaneous notes, the government can then use those notes to, in essence, cross-examine him. He's their witness, but he's hostile. And that can make for very effective testimony. Now, I haven't done the following exercise, but maybe we can think about it and do it together over the next weeks. Just because some evidence is suppressed or some testimony is disallowed at a trial doesn't mean the whole case goes out the window, but obviously it undermines the government's case. So in in the eventuality, and I think it's an above zero chance, and maybe it'll stand, maybe it won't, and I don't know what to expect from, from this judge in Florida, but if it were the case that the judge were to rule and the ruling were to stand, that the crime fraud exception did not apply. And this evidence from the lawyers and testimony from the lawyers is not admissible. If there are a hundred facts that support conviction and you take away, you know, some, some subset of those facts relating to the testimony that's disallowed in my hypothetical, how much is left? Is there still a strong case on the Espionage Act? Is there still a strong case on obstruction or at least triable? Have you, have you done that analysis or thought about that? You know, I haven't really. My off-the-cuff reaction is that it would impact the obstruction counts more than it would the espionage counts. But I would want to think through it carefully. It would be critical damage to the government if if their ability to put this evidence in was altered. How many internal memos do you think the DOJ has on this point to prepare for it? Because it's really, really important evidence for them, particularly in the obstruction. And by the way, the obstruction counts reinforce the other counts and the other counts reinforce the obstruction counts. They go together. They're not really separate, although we talk about them sometimes as being in separate buckets. I think that's right, by the way. The retention counts are much stronger because of obstruction. And we've discussed repeatedly the fact that it's unlikely DOJ would have indicted without the obstruction. In fact, it's interesting that in the indictment itself, the 31 substantive charges under the Espionage Act, those all involve documents that DOJ got during the search. None of those charges relate to documents that Trump had returned to the National Archives before the search warrant was executed. So I think that underlines what part of his conduct got Trump indicted in this sort of case, don't you think? We're going to get to this when we talk about how the Trump case is different from some other cases that were in broad. That's part of the rhetorical defense being mounted by some of his supporters. There's the plus factor. And we'll talk about this more again, as I said, in a moment. But they wouldn't have gone to all these lengths. They wouldn't have you know, issued the subpoena. They wouldn't have done the search. They wouldn't have gone to the efforts of appointing a special counsel and bring an actual unprecedented criminal case if the former president was cooperative and if he was non-obstructive. That's really what drove this whole thing, that he was being willful and obstructionist and, and using other people to be obstructionist. That's why you have two defendants in this case, not just one. So that, that's the whole ballgame here, right? 
the difference between him and Pence and Biden and some of the others is when it came to light that there were inappropriately classified documents in the possession of some party, you know, after their time in the White House, they turned them over. And they effectively said, essentially said, come and get them. Remember, in, in the whole saga here, there were tranches of documents that were turned over, right? Not everything was kept. He was alerted to the fact that there were documents. The archives said, you know, there are documents you need to give back. And on multiple occasions, the Trump team gave documents back. They didn't give all of them back. But the ones that they gave back, just like the ones that Biden gave back and that Pence gave back, are not the basis of any of the counts in the indictment, right? He didn't get in trouble for the ones he gave back. And I think that's important. Maybe it's an inside baseball point for lawyers. Maybe it's something that gets argued in court. Maybe it's something that's persuasive on appeal. But the government followed its prior precedent, complied with its internal view of when these kind of cases get indicted and when they don't. They were scrupulous in their effort to treat the former president just like any other possible defendant. One other thing I should mention in passing, you and I have a few times now referred to the Espionage Act. And the particular statute that we're talking about here is Title 18 U.S. Code 793, which relates to those 31 documents, right? The willful retention of sensitive defense information. People who are supportive of Donald Trump, they have a little bit of a point here, although it's of no consequence legally. Lindsey Graham and others have said, you know, Donald Trump did not engage in espionage. There's no espionage here. This is outrageous. This is ridiculous. This is silly. It is not our fault that Congress passed a law and a prior president signed it into law that's called the Espionage Act and Section 793 is within that act. No one is alleging and no one has alleged and no one will allege that former President Donald Trump engaged in what we understand, you know, rhetorically to be espionage. No one is saying he sold this, you know, maybe there's some evidence that he showed some stuff, but we don't have that yet. But no one is saying he engaged in a form of treason or sold classified or confidential information to an adversary of the United States. That, of course, would make it super, super, super more serious. We don't have to call it the Espionage Act. I imagine there might even be a motion in court for the government not to refer to it as the Espionage Act. Do you think that might happen? You know, that could happen. But let me push back a, a little bit. This notion of Lindsey Graham criticizing the name of the statute is pretty rich because, <laughs> you know, Congress enacts those laws. They get to name them. If Senator Graham doesn't like that name, then he it's certainly within his power to do something about Wait, it. Is he in the Congress? It's a funny thing. You know, they're going to rename it. I can already see it coming. It'll be called the Boxes Hoax Act. So they're going to name it the Hunter Biden Act. <laughs> you know, the name, I think, is a little bit unfortunate. I'm not bothered by that criticism. But I, I kind of get I kind of get it. There are people who are less careful who say espionage, 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 because it has such a pejorative sound to it. So, you know. It's a broad act. It covers a lot of conduct, everything literally from selling state secrets to enemies to, and I think on the lower end of the spectrum, frankly, is the conduct that Trump is charged with, and it's willful retention. It is not an insignificant crime. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.